0: Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the lore of your podcast. If you're new around these parts, I'm Chuck Raymond, your host. Each week, I tell you a story about some forgotten or lesser-known piece of Kentucky history or a mystery. If you're a fan of the Old West, then you're likely familiar with Alan Pinkerton, the well-known Scottish immigrant and barrel-maker turned detective. Together with Chicago lawyer Edward Rucker, they created the Northwestern Police Agency, which later became the Pinkerton National Detective Agency. Would you be surprised to learn that Kentucky was home to another equally as famous detective? That's right. Captain Delos Thurman Yankee Bly. Pinkerton and Bly were said to be good friends and often helped each other solve cases. If you've been listening to my podcasts, then you've heard Captain D.T. Bly's name a few times. He has appeared in the George Alsop and Jack Duncan podcasts. The good captain was better known as Yankee Bly to law enforcement and criminals alike. Newspaper accounts from around the country speak very highly of him and his skills as a detective, saying that his only peer was Alan Pinkerton. I will have to admit that my first impression of Yankee Bly when I researched the George Alsop story was not very good. I had gotten the impression that he hid from George and sacrificed constable Harrison because he was afraid to serve the warrant himself when he found out that Alsop was waiting to kill him if Blaine's men showed up. But after running into the captain's name in several other cases that I've read about since the Alsop podcast, I've softened my opinion of him. What say we return to yesteryear, and y'all decide for yourselves what sort of fella Yankee Bly was. I have the time machine all charged up and ready to go, so hop in and let's pay Detective Bly a visit. The year is 1842. The place is the waterfront in Louisville, Kentucky. A large and powerful-looking young man has just stepped off the riverboat from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, on his way out west to become a fur trapper in the Rocky Mountains. That young fella is Delos Thurman Bly. He's a muscular 6 foot 1 inch tall and weighs in at 250 pounds. He's a little upset because he has just found out that the water levels along the Ohio River are too low for the riverboat to go any further and so are his funds. He's going to have to lay over and find work in Louisville in order to cover his expenses while he waits for the river to rise which could be weeks or months. The locks didn't exist yet, so traffic on the river was at the mercy of Mother Nature. The railroads weren't built out yet, and so travel by river was the fastest way to travel, you see. Fortunately for young Bly, he had learned the skill of bricklaying in Pennsylvania, and there just happened to be a job open for a hide carrier at 4th and Green Streets, where they were building the old Louisville Theater. If you didn't know, a hod carrier is a person who carries bricks from one place to the next so that the bricklayers can do their job. He didn't stay in that position for long. He did become a bricklayer at that site before construction was completed. But sadly, that theater, along with many others that were built in downtown Louisville, are long gone. Some Pinterest pages showcase those old Louisville theaters, and they were beautiful works of art. Bly's promotion to bricklayer was a hard-fought battle, you could say. He was the strong silent type, and went along to get along for the most part. And as usually happens, this made him appear to be an easy target for the other men at the construction site. But boy were they in for a big surprise. They mistook Bly's gentle nature for cowardice, and started to mistreat him. Big mistake. He tore into the group of men, and as many as dared challenge him, and according to newspaper accounts in the March 12, 1916 edition of the Louisville Courier-Journal, he handed out black eyes, bruises, and bloody noses to all challengers. When the dust settled, he was the last man standing. That earned him the respect of the men there, and also the trowel and bricklayer position. It was during construction of the theater that Bly took a real liking to the city and decided to stay, and once construction of the theater was complete, he signed on as a night watchman there in the evenings and continued working as a bricklayer during the day. Although I wasn't able to locate any details, it's claimed that it was working on a few cases as a night watchman in 1846 that gave him a taste of detective work, and he liked it. He was so good at solving the crimes that he caught the attention of Louisville's Mayor Kay, who was so impressed that he appointed Bly as deputy marshal under Captain Ronald, the city marshal. Bly's first assignment was the city levy, the most dangerous assignment in the city due to all the riverboat traffic and the criminals that it brought to the city. He and his partner, Captain Jack Gallagher, became fast friends They agreed that they would split whatever reward money that they earned, and the duo were very good at their job. Scarcely a day went by that they did not earn a nice sum of money. But their law enforcement career would have to be put on hold because in 1846, the Mexican War broke out and the men joined the local militia known as the Louisville Legion. The outfit served a 12-month tour of duty, and fought in several battles. They fought under General Zachary Taylor at multiple key engagements, particularly the Battle of Cerro Gordo and the Battle of Monterey. They occupied Monterey for the remainder of their assignment. and Near the end of 1847, they returned home to Louisville and Bly, along with his partner Jack Gallagher, were back on the job walking their beat along the river. Now, these two were said to be tigers in a fight, which there was no shortage of on the waterfront when dealing with the criminals traveling on the river. Bly and his partner weren't limited to just the waterfront, though. There are instances where they captured horse thieves and other criminals away from the waterfront, obtaining large cash rewards for their captures. A peculiar problem surfaced in America just before the outbreak of the Civil War large amounts of counterfeit money began to circulate. Hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of funny money. This perplexed law enforcement agencies around the country, and they all searched for answers as to where it was coming from and who was responsible. A famous Spanish counterfeiter named La was suspected of being behind it, but no one could prove it. His picture was sent to every law dog imaginable in an effort to find him. This is where we get our first real glimpse of Bly's detective work. One of the things often commented on about Bly was his uncanny memory. He could remember details and faces precisely, and it was that ability that is claimed to be the source of his success as a detective. He had seen Latringa's picture, and while walking his beat one day, saw a man he recognized as the famous counterfeiter. Now, he had no lawful reason to approach the man and feared arresting him without concrete proof of him being behind the counterfeit currency. If the man really was the source of the funny money, Bly didn't want to arrest the man and risk him being turned loose on a technicality, so Bly didn't say a word to anyone about Latringa being in Louisville. Instead, he trailed the man for three months, watching his every move. Then, one rainy night, Bly sees the man leaving his hotel carrying a satchel and follows him to an Italian boarding house. When Latringa had went in, Bly circled around to the rear of the building and busted through the rear door where he found Latringa and another man and woman standing in the room. Latringa lunged at Bly with a stiletto knife, but Bly dodged it and knocked Latringa out cold with a solid punch. But where was the satchel? Bly searched high and low, but could find no sign of it. But, while he searched, he kept his eye on the woman and noticed that she kept glancing toward the bed. Suspicious of what might be hidden there, Bly goes over and tosses it, and that's where he discovers a secret compartment with the satchel containing $22,000 in funny money. Bly promptly arrests all three, and gains worldwide praise and recognition for his deeds. It's shortly after this arrest, he's made a policeman at large, which meant he had free rein to come and go as he pleased. He chased criminals all across the country, not limiting himself to his home department in Louisville. This did not mean that he and his good friend Gallagher had went their separate ways. They were still partners and continued to chase down crooks together, But since the capture of Latringa, most of their time was spent tracking down and bringing in counterfeiters, or makers of the queer, as they were called in those days. And once the Civil War started, I was unable to locate much in the way of Bly's doings, but I did find some records for D.T. Bly that suggests that he did serve in the Union Army, but I didn't find any specific unit information. The newspapers did not list any of his Civil War experiences. They kind of glossed over that period of time in Bly's life without mention of his Civil War service. You might be thinking that this is when he picked up the nickname Yankee Bly, but that's not true. He was born in Delaware County, New York in 1823. That's why he was called Yankee Bly. As a policeman at large, Bly traveled frequently, only asking his wife, Kate, to pack his bag. He would be leaving in the morning, and she never knew where he was going or why, until she picked up a newspaper and read an account that he had arrested some wanted counterfeiter, bank robber, or desperado in Denver, New York, or some other small town that no one had ever heard of. And, like our Texas ranger-turned-bounty hunter, Jack Duncan, Bly would not allow himself to be photographed or sketched for fear of it tipping off criminals and ruining his chances of success while working undercover. Worse yet, it could get him killed if he tried to go undercover and someone recognized him. Take the case of a notorious riverboat gambler and card sharp, George Deval. George made a habit out of liberating anyone foolish enough to sit down at the table with him of their hard-earned money. It was a real problem, and it soon caught the attention of Bly. He decided that he would go undercover on the riverboats and hunt for old George Duvall around the time of Mardi Gras. Bly assumed the role of a wealthy cattle buyer and managed to board one of the large New Orleans riverboats in search of Duvall. His plan was to work his way in with the gamblers on that boat in order to try and get a line on where Duvall might be. Shortly after boarding, he noticed a young lady with a baby in her lap and she was weeping a great deal. This concerned Bligh, and he went over to see what was the matter. She told him that her husband had gotten involved in a poker game and lost their entire life savings of $5,000. Well, as you can imagine, this did not set well with Bligh, so he went to find the poker game and sit in on it himself. And wouldn't you know it, As luck would have it, George Duvall was the man running the game. It didn't take him long to realize that the cards were marked. So Bly waited as the man dealt the cards for the next hand and quietly slipped his hand into his coat when George looked away and grabbed his Smith & Wesson. When George looked back in Bly's direction, he was looking down the barrel of Bly's Smith & Wesson. If you move... I'll kill you, Bly told him. He rifled through George's pockets, counted out $5,000, and returned the money to the woman, telling her not to let her husband know that she had it, or he'd be foolish enough to lose it all again. He arrested George Duvall, but the man was able to get away and jump overboard. But Bly didn't sweat it. Once the riverboat docked, he got off and caught old George trying to board another riverboat our detective had caught his man once again and tossed him behind bars. Interestingly enough, George Duvall would renounce his old profession and become a zealous minister of the gospel. And if that don't beat all, Bly and old George went on to become lifelong friends. Life is funny that way, ain't it? Now things really get interesting around 1868. The Civil War has been officially over for a few years, and Yankee Bly has been busy catching criminals. And according to the March 28, 1868 edition of the Daily Milwaukee News, on the night of March 27, 1868, Bly is assaulted by two men in front of the United States Hotel, which had been located on Jefferson Street in downtown Louisville. Now this caused Bly to pull a Smith & Wesson revolver and shoot both men. but only one of the men, William Wyman, dies, and the other is wounded. Now, this is the first account that I found where Bly shot and killed someone in an altercation outside of his Mexican War service. And little did he know that just a few days earlier, on March 20th, the Nimrod Long Banking Company of Russellville, Kentucky, was robbed, and that event Would draw Detective Bly into the manhunt for the James Younger Gang over the next several years. A lot of folks believe that it was the Pinkertons that chased the James Younger Gang initially, but that would be incorrect. The Pinkertons didn't involve themselves until after the gang began to rob trains in 1873. You see, the Pinkertons were hired by railroad companies to protect payrolls and other valuable cargo traveling by rail. But Bly and his trusted friend Captain Gallagher were on the gang's trail in 1868. By that time, the exploits of the James Younger Gang were widely known. John Newman Edward had written positive articles about the gang along with several dime novels in the year between 1866 and 1867. Anyway, the bank robbers had shot and wounded a clerk, in addition to making off with $14,000. During their investigation, Bly learned that the gang of bank robbers were George Shepherd, his brother All Shepherd, John Jarrett, Arthur C. McCoy, Cole Younger, Jim White, Dick Little, and a fellow by the last name of Saunders, no Jesse or Frank James. Although, years later, Bly would say that he thought Jesse and Frank were in on the planning of the robbery. One day, Bly gets word that George Shepherd is in Nelson County, Kentucky, so he and Gallagher gather up some of their fellow lawmen and head off to arrest Shepard. As they got closer to where Shepard was supposed to be, Several of the lawmen had to stop off at a saloon for some liquid courage. Disgusted by that, Bly said to the men, The whole bunch of you get back to Louisville. Men who need whiskey to make themselves brave are miserable cowards and no good to me. You'd all fall in a faint if Shepherd said boo. And off they went, Bly and Gallagher. It was quite some time before they found someone willing to tell the lawmen where Shepard was. The folks in the area didn't like Shepard, but they feared him nonetheless, so no one was in a hurry to stick their neck out and rat on George Shepard and where he might be. They were finally able to convince a man to wink at them when they got near to where George was. As the two men neared a little grocery store, the informant winked, and now accounts vary here some newspapers say that there was another man with Shepherd in the store, and others say it was just Shepherd. Whichever it was, the end result was the same. They find Shepherd and maybe another man in the little grocery store. Both outlaws were heavily armed, but weren't paying attention when Bly and Gallagher walked in. George Shepherd had been sitting on a crate whittling. If there had been a second man with Shepherd, No mention was made as to what he was doing that kept him from noticing the two lawmen coming through the door. Either way, Bly knew that he had to act fast because if Shepard caught sight of them, he would surely kill them. So he and Gallagher rushed over and grabbed him just as he looked up and went for his gun. After they got control of their man, or men, they asked the shopkeeper for directions on the best road to Bloomfield. Remember that roads weren't in very good condition back then. Many rural roads were simply old wagon trails or animal trails. The shopkeeper told them to continue on the road they were on but when they came to the fork take the right-hand path. So Bly and Gallagher head off down the road but what they didn't know was that the shopkeeper was buddies with the outlaw and had managed to get word to some of the gang about what had happened. The gang were able to ride fast enough to get to an isolated spot and set up an ambush along the road. But it was all for nothing. You see, Bly figured that the shopkeeper would do exactly what he did, so they took the left-hand road to Bloomfield and on to Louisville. And once locked securely away, someone confirmed Bly's suspicion about the shopkeeper's betrayal, so he rode back and arrested him too. Now, a lot has been told about the exploits of the James Younger gang, but few know that the men were frequent visitors to Louisville, Kentucky, Nelson County, and the surrounding areas. In the March 6, 1898 edition of the Louisville Courier-Journal about Frank James being near death in his home in St. Louis, the article describes the many exploits of the James brothers in Louisville and Kentucky. One account told by Captain Daly of the Louisville Police, specifically mentions an early encounter Frank and Jesse had with Detective Bly. Shortly before the bank in Russaville had been robbed, the Louisville Police had been warned that the James gang were coming to Louisville with plans to do similar mischief. So Bly went out and stationed himself in a spot where he expected the gang to show up. The problem with Bly's plan though, was that he had never seen a photo or sketch of either of the James brothers. So while he's waiting, two men approach and ask him for the best route to Jeffersonville, Indiana. Bly tells the two men the best way to cross over into Jeffersonville and returns to his watch for the James gang. A day or so later, Bly receives a letter from Indiana from Frank and Jesse James, stating that they were glad to have met his acquaintance. The two men who had asked Bly for directions to Jeffersonville were Frank and Jesse James. And it weren't just those two who played games with the Louisville authorities. Captain Daly says that Jesse's wife had fooled Captain Bart Jenkins, who kept a livery at the time. He said he was approached by a woman claiming to be Mrs. Henry of Russellville, on her way to see her dying mother in Mitchell, Indiana. Captain Jenkins, feeling sorry for her, I reckon, loaned her a horse and buggy so she could reach her dying mother before it was too late. He later learned that the young lady was the wife of Jesse James and had been riding to meet up with him in Indiana. Unlike what the movies often portray, the James Younger gang operated in many states. They may all be in on the planning, but it wasn't always the same core group of James Youngers committing every robbery, and many of their robberies were committed under fake identities. For instance, many say that the Russellville, Kentucky Bank was robbed by Jesse James, but no one can place him there or his brother Frank, and in 1881, after the robbery on the Rock Island Railway, Detectives working that case found out that the leader of the gang called himself Mr. H.D. Wilson of Louisville, Kentucky, only to find out later that it was an alias used by one of the James brothers. And not long after that robbery, Louisville police get word that the James brothers and their gang were hiding out in the hills of Nelson County. The gang knew that the pay car carrying the pay for the workers building out the Bloomfield branch of the Louisville and Nashville Railroad, made the trip with their weekly wages every Saturday night. There were over 100 men working at that site, so the cash reward would have been pretty high. Captain Bly gets a tip that the James Gang intends to rob the pay car the next Saturday night in an isolated area near Taylorsville. Bly gathers up around 20 lawmen and all board the pay car and hide, waiting to ambush the outlaws when they open the door. But the gang got wind of Bly's plan and abandons their attempt. And this is how things went between Bly and the James Younger gang over the years. And it's not as if Bly isn't trying. He pressured the gang so hard that in 1875, Jesse wrote letters to several newspapers complaining about Bly's constant harassment. And despite the pursuit of the James Younger gang taking up much of his time, Bly is still hard at work catching other rapscallions. In the June 6, 1876 edition of the St. Louis Globe Democrat, there's an article called Detective Hennessy and His Trip to Louisville. It tells about the capture of two wanted safe trackers in Louisville by Detective Bly. He had recognized the two men from photographs and nabbed them up and held them until Detective Hennessy could make the trip to Louisville and escort them back to St. Louis to stand trial. And there are numerous small accounts such as this in the newspapers. With each arrest, Bly's reputation only grew with the lawmen and outlaws. In the December 14, 1875 edition of the Daily Journal of Commerce from Kansas City, Missouri, there's an interesting article talking about the arrest of a pickpocket that happened to be carrying a letter containing advice from another pickpocket. One of the pieces of advice found in the letter was, if you're ever in Louisville, watch out for the famous Yankee Bly. But the case that really put Bly on the international map was the Bank of England case. It seems that a forger by the name of J.M. MacDonald had forged a financial instrument, as they say, and made off with $3 million of Her Majesty's money. Now, as you might imagine, policemen all over the world were on the case. Europe considered Alan Pinkerton and Delos Bly America's greatest detectives. And both men were on the case. Bly believed the forger to be in New York, so he made his way up there and began tracking the man. Bly would chase the man's trail all over the country before finally locating him at the Galt House in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where Bly was able to arrest the crook. Now this earned Bly a $5,000 reward from the Bank of England, Positive press from the newspapers of England, and Queen Victoria had an oil painting commissioned of Bly that was still hanging in the British House of Parliament as of 1916. Now, hold on a minute, you might say. I thought he didn't want his picture taken or sketches done. Well, that's true, but it's said that by the time this painting had been commissioned and done, he felt that his time in the field was over and so he wasn't as concerned about people knowing who he was or what he looked like at that time. He was so revered by his peers that Alan Pinkerton wanted him to come work for him and be in charge of the Western office. The United States Secret Service even tried to recruit him, but his heart was in Louisville, and that's where he chose to remain. For over 40 years, Captain D.T. Bly struck fear in the hearts of outlaws and kept Louisville safe. And no matter who the mayor was or who was in charge of the police department, Bly remained the one constant through them all. No one dared to even think of getting rid of him. The 1916 edition of the Louisville Courier-Journal article about Bly's life described him as a gentle giant, slow to anger, but watch out if he was angry. He had nerves of steel and despised thieves, but he also had a heart of gold. There are several accounts that highlight Bly's compassion for his fellow human, one of them being the story of the young woman he encountered on the riverboat whose husband had gambled away their life savings. Another is an account of his helping a young man get his life together after making a dumb mistake. He was said never to have abused his authority and never went beyond what the job or a situation required. He loved Louisville, and Louisville loved him back. On March 2, 1890, the great chief of the Louisville detective force would draw his last breath, having succumbed to worsening heart failure. He had been sidelined from doing the work he loved a few months earlier and the March 3rd, 1890 edition of the Chicago Tribune carried the news from Louisville of Bly's passing. It notes that Billy Pinkerton, son of Alan Pinkerton, had visited with Bly in Louisville two weeks prior to his death. Pinkerton is quoted as saying that besides his father, Bly was the greatest detective who ever lived. Chief Bly was buried with full police honors, there is a fine grave entry for Delos T. Bly. He's buried with his wife in Cave Hill Cemetery in Louisville, Kentucky. So what do you think? Was Detective Bly afraid of George Osip? Or was he too busy chasing the James Younger gang and other notorious desperadoes with the Pinkertons and Texas Rangers? He obviously wasn't afraid to get in a scrape, if that's what it took. This story... Was an interesting one to dive into. I didn't originally set out to research D.T. Bly, but he kept turning up in other places where I am researching parts of my own Raymond family line. To also find him in the George Alsop and Jack Duncan stories was amazing to me. Now that I know more about him though, I understand why his name turns up so much. Some interesting things that I encountered that I'd like to share with you come from various newspapers after the death of Chief Bly. In the May 8, 1890 edition of the Evening World from New York, New York, there's an article about a man's encounter with Yankee Bly. He said that Bly had followed him for a week before he finally confronted him. He said the whole affair had scared him to death once he realized that Bly was after him. But it turned out to be a case of mistaken identity. He said Bly approached him and told him that he suspected that he was a murderer out of New Orleans, and he showed the man a picture of the murderer that he kept in his hat. The resemblance was uncanny, and the way he described Bly's demeanor throughout their encounter tells you that he was a no-nonsense type of guy. He even let the guy know that he knew who he really was, that he was born in Kentucky, and that he lived in Middletown. And that seemed to nerve the poor guy even more. In the March 6, 1898 edition of the Louisville Courier-Journal, eight years after Bly's passing, there's a story about Frank James being ill, and the article details many of the encounters that he and Jesse had with Bly. In 1916, the Louisville Courier-Journal ran a series that came out every Sunday that year called Noted Characters Memorable to Louisville. The March 12th, 1916 edition was the story of Yankee Bly. It wouldn't be until the April 28th, 1955 edition of the Messenger Inquirer from Owensboro, Kentucky, that we find mention of Detective Bly in a story called Death of a Legend by Will Henry. Now this is where things got weird. I'm not sure where old Will got his story from, but he had a lot of things wrong. He claims that D.T. Bly was named A.B. Bly and was a famous Pinkerton detective. He retells some of Bly's encounters with the James Younger gang and gets many important details very wrong. The next find that I stumbled on really intrigues me. It's from the September 14, 1958 edition of The Morning Call from Allentown, Pennsylvania. There's an article called, A Special Parade Report on the New TV Season. Along with many familiar favorites like Rawhide, Gunsmoke, and Wyatt Earp, there's a show listed called Yankee Bly. Now, I tried to search on IMDb, but didn't find anything on a show called Yankee Bly. But how cool is it that there was one? The last and most recent newspaper mention of D.T. Bly was in the May 21st, 2004 edition of the Courier Journal. The Frazier Historical Arms Museum was having an exhibition dedicated to Kentucky. One of the exhibits was Bly's Smith & Wesson revolver. And it also contained a synopsis of Bly's life in Louisville. And there you have it folks. A quick story of Yankee Bly. And that's gonna do it for this week y'all. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you all for being here and listening. I appreciate the company. Have a great rest of the day. And we'll see you back here again next week with another story. Y'all take care now. Bye-bye.